Hello and welcome back to Recover to Flourish, the podcast that aims to debunk all things eating disorder recovery and bring a bit of light to your eating disorder recovery journey. I'm your host, Keandra. I'm an eating disorder recovery coach and I'm a survivor of an eating disorder. And this podcast is everything I wish I could have heard on my own journey to recovery. I am very excited about this season. Obviously, I had a one-week season break, if you weren't aware. I've now come back with fancy new artwork, um, and I am absolutely in love with it. I'd love to know your thoughts, etc. But for now, I'm going to get on to this today's episode, and I am joined by the lovely Tori. So tune in, and I hope you love it. I am so excited for today's episode. Um, I have had a one-week season break. I know I took a very long holiday, but I am back and I've got some new podcast artwork. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I had a lovely illustrator do it for me and it just feels a lot more me, actually. I can't even think of any other words for it, but it's a lot more me and I'm excited to be back with a lot of new fresh information and a lot of lovely guests, including today's lovely guest. So it's Tori and it's Grow With Tori on Instagram if you follow her. If you don't, you should because she's amazing. And she is currently in eating disorder recovery, but absolutely smashing it and sharing a lot of wisdom to you all. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about DBT tools to help in eating disorder recovery. So if you're unaware um, of what DBT is, it's actually called dialectical behavior therapy. It's used within kind of trauma work, but it can be really, really, really useful when it comes to eating disorder recovery. And I use a lot of it when it comes to working with clients in coaching, but Tori is also very familiar with DBT. So we're going to have a little chat about actually what DBT is, how it was useful for Tori, and having a little backwards and forwards. So first things first, Tori, hello. How are Hi, you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I've been following you on Instagram for so long. So this truly means so much to me that you have me on. No, we were, we had like a literal like half an hour chat before this episode. So but we just like hit it off straight away. So I'm I'm sure that the vibes are still high. We've got all the nervousness nervousness out of the way. I feel like even when you run a podcast for a long time, there's that like it's like first day of school nerves. I don't know if you felt the same, oh my gosh, Tori. Yes. No, a hundred percent. I'm like, I wanna make sure that I say everything correctly and that I'm explaining things well. But no, you made me feel way more chill. So I, I feel good now. Amazing. We're off for a good foot. So for anyone that doesn't follow you, um, can you say a little bit about yourself? Maybe anything, you know, you feel like you want to tell the listeners? Yeah. So I, I guess really it's helpful to kind of give my background with eating disorder recovery. Um, I developed an eating disorder at 19. I had just quit my sport, which was volleyball. Um, I had an injury, which kind of just set me down this path of becoming really aware of my body. I specifically remember one time I was like scrolling on Instagram in my bed and I was like, wow, I look completely different than everybody else. Like I've always had a very athletic build and I just noticed like all these different celebrities and influencers just looked so different to my body and I became super aware. And unfortunately, that kind of just sent me down a spiral of restriction once I quit my sport and a lot of over-exercise. And that over five years developed into a really, really bad eating disorder. Um, thankfully, six months ago, I celebrate six months in recovery next week. I'm so happy. Um, I went to an in intensive outpatient program in Kansas, which is in the U.S., 
And it completely changed my life. And a lot of what we'll talk about today is DBT. Um, and DBT was a huge part of that program. And I can say I would not be where I am right now without them. Um, I started my recovery account also six months ago. So my people <laughs> on Instagram have been following me the entire way. And it's called Grow With Tori. I mean, truly all we're doing is growing. Like we're growing, exactly. we're learning in recovery. So Exactly. I mean, we've both got that kind of grow and flourish aspect to our usernames, which I think is is really integral when it comes to recovery. And I always say to clients, and I, I say just like to my friends as well, is like we're never at like an end piece. It's like we're constantly evolving, no matter whether you've got to a place in your recovery where you could class yourself like recovered or in remission, you will still continue to grow and evolve and learn. And I think that's why, yeah, what you share and what we both share is integral to just help people on their own path. So congratulations. Is it actually six months today? Oh my gosh, when the podcast comes out. So yeah, Tuesday. So it actually will be. Yeah, yeah so anniversary. That's incredible. Like yeah. six months, and you're celebrating with a podcast. So, uh, that you know, I think six months. I'm sure it's not been all easy six months, but you know, I'm sure you've learned a lot. Yeah, I, for sure, a lot of ups and downs. But I wouldn't have it any other way. Like it's supposed to be imperfect. That's the whole point: is accepting our imperfections. So, for sure, yeah, for sure. Anyway, on to the episode about DBT. I don't know if you want me for, to explain what DBT is, or do you want to kind of tell me what you think DBT was and is for you and others in recovery? Okay, so I will describe what I think it is for me, and then you're kind of the pro here, so Back you just correct me. <laughs> <laughs> but usually when I think about recovery, I think CBT and DBT so CBT is like turning negative thoughts and emotions into positive ones, like mental reframing. Um, and then I think, which I also incorporate in my recovery, I think it's super important. But then DBT is more of like responding to thoughts and emotions with acceptance, understanding, and then just moving on. So a lot of times DBT is composed of four components. It's mindfulness, emotional regulation, um, interpersonal effectiveness and distress tolerance. So a lot of those tools is what we use when we're just kind of approaching, you know, a lot of times what it is, is like, we're approaching, this is how I feel accepting that. And then what can I do to move on from that? So that's kind of how I apply DVT in like my day to day. A thousand percent. You've kind of hit the nail on the head that, you know, really well I think to add to that and maybe the origins of DBT is DBT normally is a type of talking therapy you can use the tools yourself but normally it is um you learn DBT through talking therapy and it's based on CBT which is cognitive behavioral therapy but it's been adapted to the dialectical part for those who experience emotions very very intensely so like I said in regards to kind of trauma etc it it's dbt's role is is to like learn for you to understand and accept difficult feelings which again come up in so many different types of mental illness specifically eating disorders you know it's all about managing your emotions and feelings and therefore it's using the school skills that you learn to make positive changes in your life so really it's just another way of riding the waves of emotion, which can be really, really helpful. So if you're listening to this and going, actually, I don't have an eating disorder, but I do have, you know, depression or 
you know, um, anxiety, et cetera, you will be able to use this, these skills obviously adapted for your, you know, for your struggles. So it's not just like, it's only useful for, for eating disorders. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. Completely agree. And I, and coming from, you know, a lot of times eating disorders are involved with kind of other mental struggles as well. So it's not just eating disorders. Like I'm personally diagnosed with PTSD. Um, I've struggled with, you know, generalized anxiety. And so I think that's why these tools are so helpful because a lot of times the eating disorder isn't the root. It's the symptom of something deeper, which usually is, you know, some of these other mental health struggles. So that's why I think DBT is like so, so important for tons of different mental health struggles. A thousand percent. And and I think you mentioned the role of mindfulness, which, you know, I think that word mindfulness is thrown about a lot in society these days is like yeah. everyone's <laughs> telling you to be more mindful. But like, as you mentioned, mindfulness is a central part of DBT. So how did it, how did practicing mindfulness help you or maybe others in recovery? So can you share also some mindfulness techniques that helped you? Yeah. So when I think of mindfulness, I think you make a really good point. It's such a buzzword. And it's like, what does that even mean? Um, And so I think in recovery, for me, it was figuring out what does that mean? Um, And for me, it really is being present and tuning into what I'm feeling in a specific moment. So I almost like to call it little mindfulness check-ins. Like sometimes I'll literally just sit down, ground my feet, and tune in and say, what am I feeling in this moment? And then an extension of that usually is what do I need in this moment? And so for me, with mindfulness, a lot of the tools that I use is, first of all, just deep breathing. I think there's so much importance of just like being able to sit there, tune into your breath, and like use that to kind of just like tune into how you're feeling in that moment. Like that's all of of what it's about. And then the second thing, I love doing mindful journaling. So I'm a huge journaler. Um, I love to write down every morning, like three things that I'm feeling because I think we should never identify by only one feeling. Like we're complex human beings. We should allow ourselves to feel all of them. And so mindfulness can even be journaling and tuning into all of those different complexities of what we're feeling in that moment. And then... I think as far as movement goes, there's mindful movement. There's yoga. I love yoga. And I don't mean anything intense. I don't mean go to a hot yoga class. Like that's that's oh, not necessarily no. like the pro recovery thing. <laughs> I did one of them and it, it honestly nearly killed me off. It was so hot. <laughs> oh, it's so hot. It's so hard. But um, what I mean by that is, again, like tuning into your body. How does your body feel? tuning into yourself. How do you feel as you connect breath to movement? So I think the key to mindfulness really is just, you keep hearing me say, being present and tuning in, allowing yourself to just be without judging yourself. And I always like to say, putting down, I like to say I coined this, but I don't know, putting down the judge's mallet and taking out the binoculars. So not judging yourself in that moment, but being curious, like what is going on with me and just allowing yourself to be. For sure. And and again, I think that to some degree, and we might get to that, but it reminds me of like the wise mind, you know, of actually trying to like think of like the logic and the emotion and actually looking in with the wise mind. And I think, 
you're right. And there's so many different ways to experience mindfulness. I think the main thing that people go towards is like mindful meditation. And yes, that is a thing. You can meditate. That is mindful, but it meditation doesn't work for everyone. It works for a lot of people and meditation can take different forms. That might be something that you find on an app or YouTube, or it might be something where you just like literally practice like a a mantra and to yourself, do it every day, et cetera, et cetera. So I think mindfulness has to take a form that you like and resonates with you. A thing that I like to do to be mindful. And again, I don't know whether this like comes into emotional regulation, but for me, it really feels like a mindful activity is, is visualization. So actually like, yeah, like visualize, I'm very much like internal, like that's my meditation. I actually like a bit of a personal story. I grew up in like a meditation community. Like my parents are very into it. Like, uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So that's a story for another time. But I think for me as a child, somewhat religion can be kind of like instilled within a child mm-hmm. in a yeah more of a forced way meditation was that for me so I kind of within my recovery was like I want to go away from this I want to do something else I want it to be my choice at this point and that's where visualization comes in so it's actually you can do it by either having like a picture of what you want to have and it might be like a like a visualization board for your recovery or something that a beautiful picture like I know for me I have a picture of like a a beach in Thailand which like it really brings me peace and actually then tuning into that and that's like using mindfulness there so I think there's so many ways isn't there to be mindful yeah I love that and I always recommend to people creating like a Pinterest recovery vision board because I think that's really helpful and not just keeping it there but changing it every couple months because we change like we're you know complex human beings and we grow yeah so I think that's a really cool idea and I think with with that to add to that what I would say is we do live in a digital world and I don't know whether I'm just old-fashioned but I like things like I right above me like I have like a pin board and I like you know pictures and things that bring me peace and joy like to be honest most of them are my partner which says a lot which is lovely but um you know actually having things that are visual reminders that you don't have to it's like I always say the path of least resistance that's mindfulness you know you don't want to work hard to be mindful like going on Pinterest is great if it's something that you go on a lot but if not something that you go on regularly have it like old school printed out on your desk so that's what I would say around mindfulness and I suppose something that we've both drawn upon a lot is the role of emotions in mindfulness so Mm -hmm. when you talked about kind of the four four aspects of dbt emotional regulation is a key aspect so how does dbt address emotional regulation and what if you used (laughs) to yeah okay I think there's emotional regulation that you can do in the moment. And then I think there's also proactive emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. So in the moment for me, it's taking mindfulness one step further and saying, what do I need in this moment? It's identifying how you can meet your emotional needs through coping skills. So this might be different depending on what environment you're in, but I think it's helpful to journal out, you know, here are my coping skills. Here's my toolbox. So if I'm at dinner, maybe I need to step out of the room. Maybe I need to text my mom or a friend. Um, If I'm home, maybe that means, you know, turning on my favorite show 
sipping a hot drink and snuggling with my pet. I think it can be different things, but just having that toolbox ready is super helpful. So that's what I would say like in the moment to moment emotional regulation can be, but I think proactively is just as important. So when I think proactive, I think identifying triggers. What are your emotional triggers? I think Again, I'm a huge journaler. Even writing these out can be really helpful because you can Mm -hmm. almost manage your expectations around these triggers and know like in some ways what emotions to expect from them. And then I think also, you know, making sure your basic needs are met are a huge proactive thing that we should all be doing. You know, am I eating enough? Am I fueling my body? Am I hydrating? Am I sleeping? Spending time in nature? Getting social interaction? These things can really help us with regulating our emotions because how can we expect to be in balance when everything's out of balance? Yeah, and and, and actually it, it reminds me of kind of like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs or somebody's heart. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 I think it is. I'm going back to my psychology A-level days, A-levels in the what UK. queen, I love it. <laughs> Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like our basic, like the bottom of the pyramid is physical needs, like sleep, eating, like uh, all of that. And I think the ironic thing when it comes to eating disorders is we, we take away the primary need as being a human being, which is food, fuel, rest, care, you know, recovery is actually, that is stripped away. And I think, you know, you can, you can look a lot into this, but it's because other needs have not been met and therefore you're taking away your primary need because of coping with these emotions, Mm -hmm. because, you know, you can always say when the feeling of being fat, and I don't like the word fat, or in a sense of like a traditional sense of actually calling somebody that or calling yourself that, I think is a word that we maybe shouldn't use, but in that context, but really it's like, what does that actually mean? You know, it's a part of one's body, com- you know, composition. It is a nutrient. What It doesn't have, a, like fat is not an emotion. So I think like you said, is like actually tuning in to what does that emotion mean? Why am I saying this to myself? Why do I feel this? Do I actually feel quote unquote fat? What does that mean? I love that's that. That really helped me. No, that's super that's super helpful. And it's like it's almost too kind of going back to what I said before. I think not defining yourself by one emotion. So I used yeah. to always say, you know. I'm so depressed or I'm so anxious. It's almost like you're identifying yourself by that depression and anxiety, but we're complex human beings. Like we can't be identified. And sorry, I'm getting over an illness as I do this (laughs) podcast, but we can't be identified by one emotion. So I think too, for me, the emotional regulation piece was also tuning into what are some of those more positive emotions that I'm feeling that are coexisting with that depression. Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's encouragement that someone gave me. So I think that also really helped me as well. Definitely. And and, and you mentioned something that is very key to recovery is interpersonal effectiveness and, and yes. building those healthy relationships. And I think something that I say a lot with clients is it's very hard when you're in the depths of an eating disorder to build healthy relationships because you are in an abusive relationship with your eating disorder. It's like, you know, there's no space for romance, friendship, like, you know, even family links, et cetera, because you're spending so much time just in that relationship with that thing that's inside of you. That's the ironic thing. It's not separate from you, but it feels separate because of the way that you interact with it and what you do for it. 
And I suppose, number one, I, I wonder how have you felt building healthy relationships in your own recovery journey? I know you mentioned that, you know, you have got a husband and I'm sure he's been through this journey with you as well. And how has DBT been helpful in you actually building upon these relationships? Yeah. So I, and, and I do want to say, you know, it's a process. So I think the first relationship I had to build was the one with myself. I think the eating disorder really impacted how I viewed myself. There was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of shame. And you know, that's not me. That's not my authentic self. I think a lot of what I did was tuning into what are my core values? Who am I? What are my hobbies? What are, what am I interested in? So I think before we can even get to some of that interpersonal stuff, we have to start to rebuild that relationship with ourselves. But when it does come to, you know, the relationships, I think the first thing that DBT taught me, and this is such a buzzword, but boundaries, like boundaries are so freaking important. Like we don't realize like, and it's, it's in some ways protecting your peace because you're setting boundaries around who you spend your time with and what energy you give yourself, like, or what, what buckets you put your energy into. So I always like to think of, you know, first of all, who am I surrounding myself with? What are the conversations that we're having? Are they body positive conversations? Are they food positive conversations? And really, you know, setting limits of how much time am I going to spend with those people? You don't have to cut them out of your life, but you know, maybe it is setting boundaries with time. So I think that that whole conversation of boundaries kind of deserves you know, a spotlight in and of itself. Yeah, I think <laughs> um, that's a whole, a whole episode, uh, you yeah. know. Unfortunately, a lot of people that I've worked with or even friends and family don't know the meaning of a boundary or what a boundary actually is. Like I said, it's like mindfulness. It's thrown about a lot. It's like, have better boundaries. It's like, well, I'm sorry, what does that actually mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think it's learning what boundaries are for you. And that's the thing. Boundaries are so different for everyone you know, my boundary might not be the same as your boundary. I might require more solo time than you do, et cetera, et cetera. It's like actually working out what are your fundamental needs in a, in personal relationships and then go from there. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. Um, and I think too, like knowing that boundaries can coexist with support. So we don't want to set those boundaries as, you know, keeping people out. That's not the purpose. Um, the purpose is to make sure that we're maintaining healthy relationships with people. But I still always say, you know, support is the number one thing that helped me in recovery. So I think too, I do just want to reinforce, you know, making sure that you are building a support system of, of people around you, whether that be, you know, friends or family who can be there and support you. And I think that kind of tunes into my next point is when we are having these conversations, I always kind of like to use the FAST acronym from DBT, which is mm-hmm. when you're talking to people, be fair. Don't apologize for how you feel. Stay true to your values. Be truthful. Yeah. You know, just I think some of these guiding principles and and the Dialectical Behavioral Therapy website actually has some really great tools, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, but I think using some of these communication I'll leave that in the tools, link. That's yeah, that's great. Yeah, amazing. I think using some of those communication tools can be really beneficial when, you know, we're trying to navigate these relationships that in many ways the eating disorder has broken in the past. For sure. And I think that that is the thing. It's not saying that, you know, a lot of people can find partners while struggling with an eating disorder or friends. It's not saying that it's impossible. 
It's just there must be navigation with those relationships to potentially make them more healthier. And I don't know if you found the same within your relationships. I know for me, when I was like a lot younger and I was in you know, long-term relationships, number one, it was just stressful. And number two, I didn't actually go for the people that were good for me because of the way that I talked to myself. And I think, you know, everyone's different in this journey, but ultimately if we're not treating ourselves with love and care, we then ex- don't kind of expect the self from somebody else. It's like, well, I'm treating myself really badly. Therefore I deserve that. And it's learning that you never deserve to be treated badly it and actually what do I need in my life yeah and I love what you said at the beginning like just introducing this question of you know the eating disorder creates an abusive relationship with you and so I think that book it's like breaking up with Ed or something like that yeah 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 I think that I don't know I just think that's so well said it's like you're really you're a victim and you're in your healing you know from this and and in time like it does take time I think that's the the one thing I'll say is healing these relationships with yourself and with others takes time give yourself grace that's a big dbt thing you know give yourself grace for just the process and the imperfection that's going to come along with it for sure for sure and you know would you say that having these DBT skills have really been integral in building those relationships in your life. Do you use them like day by day or is it something that you're like, oh, well, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt or? I think, you know, practice makes perfect. Although, you know, I I always say perfect doesn't exist, but I definitely think, you know, day to day, I really try to use the FAST acronym. I think, you know, being fair, staying true to my values, especially when I'm navigating conversations um, is really helpful. But I think too, even setting boundaries, I used to say yes to everything. Like I'm a people pleaser. I, you know, I want to be there for my family. I want to be there for my friends. But in some ways, like it wasn't really benefiting them because I was showing up as not my best self. Yeah. And so it's like- Yeah. And so I think, you know, just being really careful with and intentional with my time and who I'm giving it to, how much I'm giving it to, and truly knowing that it is okay to say no. I always say like, protect your peace first, because if you don't protect your peace, you're not going to show up as your best self. And like you said, you don't want to give half of yourself to people. No. And you know, then you are you might be pleasing others, but you're then, you're putting yourself on the line. You know, you're, you're then, you know, like when we say about like filling up your cup, it's like, you haven't got anything in your cup to start with. So how are you even going to start, you know, going there? It's a journey. Like you said, you, you know, you know, you are in active recovery and you're very honest about that, but I suppose to wrap up and I'd be interested for like everyone to hear what a kind of some personal milestones or moments of transformation in your six months to this day so far? Yeah. So, okay. My six months is like a huge milestone. I can honestly not believe that I'm even like sitting here and like a happy person. Um, And I know that sounds really drastic, but if you had asked me seven months ago, I would have told you like, I could have like not made it. Like I, I wanted to give up. That's how in the depths of my eating disorder I was. So I think a huge milestone for me was number one, like one day I just kind of realized like I liked myself again. And I think that took a lot of time and work every single day of 
saying the mantras to myself, journaling out, realizing what my core values are. And slowly over time, you know, I just started talking more kindly to myself and I realized like, wow, I really do like myself. And it wasn't like, it's hard because it wasn't just a milestone that like just happened. It took a lot of consistency and hard work. But I think one of the best things about recovery was just kind of that moment when I realized like I found myself, I like myself again. And then another thing too, which I think is more of a recent milestone that I've kind of noticed is just being able to go to family events and dinners recently and not have a lot of anxiety and be able to kind of use these DBT tools to navigate those events has been like amazing. I used to get a lot of stress going to events. I think that's pretty typical for people in recovery or struggling with an eating disorder. But I don't know. I think celebrating even these little wins as big milestones is what's allowed me to preserve my recovery. So it's like literally I say to everyone, it's like no matter how big or small this win is, if you do something that is against your eating disorder, that should be celebrated because otherwise it's only you're only looking at the the big milestones, which can it reduces motivation because motivation is not constant as well. It's knowing that it's always going back to your why is motivation comes and goes. You know, some days you don't want to get up out of bed some days you do and you feel really motivated but it's always in those low motivation days coming back to your why so I totally I totally agree and thank you just for sharing a little bit about yourself and your journey and I really hope that whoever is listening you know get some valuable insights from it I know I have just speaking with you um so if you've got anything else that you want to say to the listeners how can they find you if they want to follow you yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Grow With Tori. I also just created a TikTok literally two days ago. So if you want to look me up there, um, you can also go to Grow With Tori on TikTok. Um, but, and I think too, the one thing I want to leave people with, and I always use this as my recovery mantra, is discomfort is growth. So yeah. a lot of times when we are uncomfortable in recovery, we think that something's wrong embrace the discomfort. That is what is going to allow you to grow out of your eating disorder and towards your authentic self. So that's really something that I wanted to leave everyone with. You know, it's funny because I was going to say the same thing. If your eating disorder is shouting, you're doing the right thing. I know that sounds sounds counterproductive, but if you feel okay with something that you're doing or listening to your eating disorder, then you're really like giving into the demands of your eating disorder. So like you know Tori said discomfort is where we grow the most and it doesn't remain discomfort like uncomfortable forever you know things pass so thank you again for being on and thank you again for listening everyone um episodes are out weekly on a Tuesday very early UK time so I have no idea what time that is in the US I'm awful with time zones as always if you've got any questions any concerns you know my Instagram is at recover to flourish pod or flourish with Kiandra. I'll leave all the links in the show notes amongst um, the things that we spoke about today including the DBT website um, if you want to check that out but for now thank you again I'll speak to you next week